This is Marilyn Lightstone Reads A Room with a View, the timeless Edwardian tale from E.M. Forster, and the sixth book in our podcast series, Marilyn Lightstone Reads, featuring the acclaimed Canadian actress, television and radio host, Marilyn Lightstone. Now, without further ado, here is Marilyn to read us E.M. Forster's A Room with a View. Chapter 18 Lying to Mr. Beebe, Mrs. Honeychurch, Freddy, and the servants. Windy Corner lay, not on the summit of the ridge, but a few hundred feet down the southern slope, at the springing of one of the great buttresses that supported the hill. On either side of it was a shallow ravine, filled with ferns and pine trees, and down the ravine on the left ran the highway into the weald. Whenever Mr. Beebe crossed the ridge and caught sight of these noble dispositions of the earth, and, poised in the middle of them, Windy Corner, he laughed. The situation was so glorious, the house so commonplace, not to say impertinent. The late Mr. Honeychurch had affected the cube, because it gave him the most accommodation for his money, and the only addition made by his widow had been a small turret shaped like a rhinoceros's horn, where she could sit in wet weather and watch the carts going up and down the road. So impertinent, and yet the house did, for it was the home of people who love their surroundings honestly. Other houses in the neighborhood had been built by expensive architects. Over others, their inmates had fidgeted sedulously, yet all these suggested the accidental, the temporary, while Windy Corner seemed as inevitable as an ugliness of nature's own creation. One might laugh at the house, but one never shuddered. Mr. Beebe was bicycling over this Monday afternoon with a piece of gossip. He had heard from the Miss Allens. These admirable ladies, since they could not go to Sissy Villa, had changed their plans. They were going to Greece instead. Since Florence did my poor sister so much good, wrote Miss Catherine, we do not see why we should not try Athens this winter. Of course, Athens is a plunge, and the doctor has ordered her special digestive bread, but after all, we can take that with us, and it is only getting first into a steamer and then into a train. But is there an English church? And the letter went on to say, I do not expect we shall go any further than Athens, but if you knew of a really comfortable pension at Constantinople, we should be so grateful. Lucy would enjoy this letter, and the smile with which Mr. Beebe greeted Windy Corner was partly for her. She would see the fun of it, and some of its beauty, for she must see some beauty. Though she was hopeless about pictures, and though she dressed so unevenly, oh, that cerise frock yesterday at church, oh, she must see some beauty in life, or she could not play the piano as she did. He had a theory that musicians are incredibly complex, and know far less than other artists what they want and what they are, that they puzzle themselves as well as their friends, that their psychology is a modern development and has not yet been understood. This theory, had he known it, had possibly just been illustrated by facts. Ignorant of the events of yesterday, he was only riding over to get some tea 
to see his niece and to observe whether Miss Honeychurch saw anything beautiful in the desire of two old ladies to visit Athens. A carriage was drawn up outside Windy Corner, and just as he caught sight of the house, it started, bowled up the drive, and stopped abruptly when it reached the main road. Therefore, it must be the horse, who always expected people to walk up the hill in case they tired him. The door opened obediently, and two men emerged, whom Mr. Beebe recognized as Cecil and Freddy. They were an odd couple to go driving, but he saw a trunk beside the coachman's legs. Cecil, who wore a bowler, must be going away, while Freddy, a cap, was seeing him to the station. They walked rapidly, taking the shortcuts, and reached the summit while the carriage was still pursuing the windings of the road. They shook hands with the clergyman, but did not speak. "'So you're off for a minute, Mr. Vise,' he asked. Cecil said, "'Yes,' while Freddy edged away. "'I was coming to show you this delightful letter from these friends of Miss Honeychurch,' he quoted from it. "'Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it romance? Most certainly they will go to Constantinople. They are taken in a snare that cannot fail. They will end by going round the world.' Cecil listened civilly, and said he was sure that Lucy would be amused and interested. "'Isn't romance capricious?' I never notice it in you young people. You do nothing but play lawn tennis and, and say that romance is dead, while the Miss Allens are struggling with all the weapons of propriety against the terrible thing. A really comfortable pension at Constantinople. <laughs> so they call it out of decency. But in their hearts, they want a pension with magic windows, opening on the foam of perilous seas and fairyland forlorn. No ordinary view will content the Miss Allens. They want the pension Keats. I'm awfully sorry to interrupt, Mr. Beebe, said Freddy, but have you any matches? I have, said Cecil, and it did not escape Mr. Beebe's notice that he spoke to the boy more kindly. "'You have never met these Miss Allens, have you, Mr. Vives?' "'Never. "'Then you don't see the wonder of this Greek visit. "'I haven't been to Greece myself, and don't mean to go, "'and I can't imagine any of my friends going. "'It is altogether too big for our little lot. "'Don't you think so? "'Italy is just about as much as we can manage. "'Italy is heroic, but... But Greece is godlike or devilish, I'm not sure which, and in either case, absolutely out of our suburban focus. All right, Freddy, I'm not being clever. Upon my word, I am not. I took the idea from another fellow, and give me those matches when you've done with them. He lit a cigarette and went on talking to the two young men. I was saying, if our poor little cockney lives must have a background, let it be Italian. Big enough, in all conscience. The ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, for me. There, the contrast is just as much as I can realize. But, uh, not the Parthenon, not the frieze of Phidias at any price. And, oh, here comes the Victoria. You're quite right, said Cecil. Greece is not for our little lot. And he got in. Freddy followed, 
nodding to the clergyman, whom he trusted not to be pulling one's leg, really. And before they had gone a dozen yards, he jumped out and came running back for Weiss's matchbox, which had not been returned. As he took it, he said, "'I'm so glad you only talked about books. Cecil's hard hit. Lucy won't marry him. If you'd gone on about her as you did about them, he might have broken down. But, but when? Late last night. Uh, I must go. Perhaps they won't want me down there. No, no, go on, go on, goodbye. Thank goodness!' exclaimed Mr. Beebe to himself, and struck the saddle of his bicycle approvingly. It was the one foolish thing she ever did. Ah, oh, what a glorious riddance! And after a little thought, he negotiated the slope into Windy Corner, light of heart. The house was again as it ought to be, cut off forever from Cecil's pretentious world. He would find Miss Minnie down in the garden. In the drawing-room, Lucy was tinkling at a Mozart sonata. He hesitated a moment, but went down the garden as requested. There he found a mournful company. It was a blustering day, and the wind had taken and broken the dahlias. Mrs. Honeychurch, who looked cross, was tying them up, while Miss Bartlett, unsuitably dressed, impeded her with offers of assistance. At a little distance stood Minnie and the garden child, a minute importation, each holding either end of a long piece of basswood. "'Oh, how do you do, Mr. Beebe? Gracious, what a mess everything is! Look at my scarlet pompons, and the wind blowing your skirts about, and the ground so hard that not a prop will stick in, and then the carriage having to go out when I had counted on having Powell, who, give everyone their due, does tie up Dahlia's property.' Evidently, Mrs. Honeychurch was shattered. "'How do you do?' said Miss Bartlett, with a meaning glance, as though conveying that more than dahlias had been broken off by the autumn gales. "'Here, Lenny, the bass,' cried Mrs. Honeychurch. The garden child, who did not know what bass was, stood rooted to the path with horror. Minnie slipped to her uncle and whispered that everyone was very disagreeable today, and that it was not her fault if Dahlia strings would tear long ways instead of across. "'Come for a walk with me,' he told her. "'You have worried them as much as they can stand. Mrs. Honeychurch, I only called in aimlessly. I shall take her up to tea at the Beehive Tavern, if I may.' "'Oh, must you? Oh, yes, do. Oh, not the scissors, thank you, Charlotte, when both my hands are full already. I'm perfectly certain that the orange cactus will go before I can get to it.' Mr. Beebe, who was an adept at relieving situations, invited Miss Bartlett to accompany them to this mild festivity. Oh, "'Yes, Charlotte, I don't want you. Do, do go. There's nothing to stop about for, either in the house or out of it.' Miss Bartlett said that her duty lay in the dahlia bed, but when she had exasperated everyone, except Minnie, by a refusal, she turned round and exasperated Minnie by an acceptance. As they walked up the garden, the orange cactus fell, and Mr. Beebe's last vision was of the garden child clasping it like a lover, his dark head buried in a wealth of blossom. "'It is terrible, this havoc among the flowers,' he remarked. 
It is always terrible when the promise of months is destroyed in a moment, enunciated Miss Bartlett. Perhaps we ought to send Miss Honeychurch down to her mother, or, or will she come with us? I think we had better leave Lucy to herself, until her own pursuits. They're angry with Miss Honeychurch, because she was late for breakfast, whispered Minnie, and Floyd has gone, and Mr. Voice has gone, and Freddy won't play with me. In fact, Uncle Arthur, the house is not at all what it was yesterday. Don't be a prig, said her Uncle Arthur. Go and put on your boots. He stepped into the drawing-room, where Lucy was still attentively pursuing the sonatas of Mozart. She stopped when he entered. "'How do you do? Miss Bartlett and Minnie are coming with me to tea at the Beehive. Would you come, too?' "'I, I don't think I will, thank you.' "'No, no, I didn't suppose you would care too much.' Lucy turned to the piano and struck a few chords. "'How delicate those sonatas are!' said Mr. Beebe, though at the bottom of his heart he thought them silly little things. Lucy passed into Schumann. Miss Honeychurch. Yes. I met them on the hill. Your brother told me. Oh, he did. She sounded annoyed. Mr. Beebe felt hurt, for he had thought that she would like him to be told. I, I needn't say that it will go no further. Mother... "'Charlotte, Cecil, Freddy, you?' said Lucy, playing a note for each person who knew, and then playing a sixth note. "'If if you'll let me say so, I am very glad, and I am certain that you have done the right thing.' "'So, so I hoped other people would think, but they don't seem to.' "'I could see that Miss Bartlett thought it unwise. "'So does Mother. Mother minds dreadfully.' "'I... Hmm. "'I am very sorry for that,' said Mr. Beebe, with feeling. Mrs. Honeychurch, who hated all changes, did mind, but not nearly as much as her daughter pretended, and only for the minute. It was really a ruse of Lucy's to justify her despondency, a ruse of which she was not herself conscious, for she was marching in the armies of darkness. "'And Freddy minds,' Still, Freddy never hit it off with Vise much, did he? I gathered that he disliked the engagement and felt it might separate him from you. Boys are, boys are so odd. Minnie could be heard arguing with Miss Bartlett through the floor. Tea at the Beehive apparently involved a complete change of apparel. Mr. Beebe saw that Lucy very properly, did not wish to discuss her action, so, after a sincere expression of sympathy, he said, "'I have had an absurd letter from Miss Allen. That was really what brought me over. I thought it might amuse you all.' "'How delightful,' said Lucy, in a dull voice. For the sake of something to do, he began to read her the letter." After a few words, her eyes grew alert, and soon she interrupted him with, "'Going abroad? When do they start?' "'Next week, I gather.' "'Did did Freddy say whether he was driving straight back?' "'No, no, he didn't. Because I do hope he won't go gossiping.' So she did want to talk about her broken engagement. Always complacent, he put the letter away, but she at once exclaimed in a high voice, "'Oh, do tell me more about the Miss Allens. Uh, how perfectly splendid of them to go abroad!' 
I want them to start from Venice and go in a cargo steamer down the Illyrian coast. She laughed heartily. Oh, delightful. Oh, I wish they'd take me. Has Italy filled you with the fever of travel? Perhaps George Emerson is right. He says that Italy is only a euphemism for fate. Oh, oh not Italy, but Constantinople. I've, I've always longed to go to Constantinople. Constantinople is, is practically Asia, isn't it? Mr. Beebe reminded her that Constantinople was still unlikely, and that the Miss Allens only aimed at Athens, with Delphi, perhaps, if the roads are safe. But this made no difference to her enthusiasm. She had always longed to go to Greece, even more, it seemed. He saw, to his surprise, that she was apparently serious. I didn't realize that you and the Miss Allens were still such friends, after Sissy Villa. Oh, oh, that's nothing. I assure you, Sissy Villa's nothing to me. I would give anything to go with them. Would your mother spare you again so soon? You have scarcely been home three months. She must spare me, cried Lucy, in growing excitement. I simply must go away. I have to. She ran her fingers hysterically through her hair. Don't you see that I have to go away? I didn't realize at the time. And of course, of course, I want to see Constantinople so particularly. You mean that since you have broken off your engagement, you feel... Yes, yes, yes. Oh, I knew you would understand. Mr. Beebe did not quite understand. Why could not Miss Honeychurch repose in the bosom of her family? Cecil had evidently taken up the dignified line and was not going to annoy her. Then it struck him that her family itself might be annoying. He hinted this to her, and she accepted the hint eagerly. Yes, of course, to go to Constantinople until they are used to the idea and everything has calmed down. I am afraid it has been a bothersome business, he said gently. No, no. Not at all. Cecil, Cecil was very kind indeed. Only, I had better tell you the whole truth, since you have heard a little. It was that he is so, so masterful. I found that he wouldn't let me go my own way. He would improve me in places where, where I can't be improved. Cecil won't let a woman decide for herself. In fact, he daren't. <laughs> what nonsense I do talk. But... That is the kind of thing. It is what I gathered from my own observation of Mr. Vyse. It is what I gather from all that I have known of you. I do sympathize and agree most profoundly. I agree so much that you must let me make one little criticism. Is it worth while rushing off to Greece? But I must go somewhere, she cried. I have been worrying all the morning, and, and here comes the very thing. She struck her knees with clenched fists and repeated, I must, and the time I shall have with mother, and, and all the money she spent on me last spring. You all think much too highly of me. I, I wish you weren't so kind. At this moment, Miss Bartlett entered, and her nervousness increased. I must get away ever so far. I must know my own mind and where I want to go. Come along. Tea. Tea, tea, said Mr. Beebe, and bustled his guests out of the front door. He hustled them so quickly that he forgot his hat. 
When he returned for it, he heard, to his relief and surprise, the tinkling of a Mozart sonata. She is playing again, he said to Miss Bartlett. Lucy can always play, was the acid reply. One is very thankful that she has such a resource. She is evidently much worried, as of course she ought to be. I, I know all about it. The marriage was so near that it must have been a hard struggle before she could wind herself up to speak. Miss Bartlett gave a kind of wriggle, and he prepared for a discussion. He had never fathomed Miss Bartlett. As he had put it to himself at Florence, she might yet reveal depths of strangeness, if not of meaning. But she was so unsympathetic that she must be reliable. He assumed that much, and he had no hesitation in discussing Lucy with her. Minnie was fortunately collecting ferns. She opened the discussion with, We had much better let the matter drop. I wonder. It is of the highest importance that there should be no gossip in Summer Street. It would be death to gossip about Mr. Vives's dismissal at the present moment. Mr. Beebe raised his eyebrows. Death is a strong word, surely too strong. There was no question of tragedy, he said. Of course, Miss Honeychurch will make the fact public in her own way, and when she chooses. Freddy only told me because he knew she would not mind. I know, said Miss Bartlett civilly, yet Freddy ought not to have told even you. One cannot be too careful. Quite so. I do implore absolute secrecy. A chance word to a chattering friend and... Exactly. He was used to these nervous old maids and to the exaggerated importance that they attach to words. A rector lives in a web of petty secrets and confidences and warnings, and the wiser he is, the less he will regard them. He will change the subject, as did Mr. Beebe, saying cheerfully, "'Have you heard from any Bertolini people lately?' I believe you keep up with Miss Lavish. It is odd how we of that pension, who seems such a fortuitous collection, have been working into one another's lives. Two, three, four, six of us, no, no, eight, I'd forgotten the Emersons, have kept more or less in touch. We must really give the Signora testimonial. And, Miss Bartlett not favoring the scheme, they walked up the hill in a silence which was only broken by the rector naming some fern. On the summit, they paused. The sky had grown wilder since he stood there last hour, giving to the land a tragic greatness that is rare in Surrey. Gray clouds were charging across tissues of white, which stretched and shredded and tore slowly, until, through their final layers, there gleamed a hint of the disappearing blue. Summer was retreating. The wind roared, the trees groaned, yet the noise seemed insufficient for those vast operations in heaven. The weather was breaking up, breaking, broken, and it is a sense of the fit rather than of the supernatural that equips such crises with the salvos of angelic artillery. Mr. Beebe's eyes rested on Windy Corner, where Lucy sat, practicing Mozart. No smile came to his lips, and, changing the subject again, he said, "'We shan't have rain, but we shall have darkness, 
So let us hurry on. The darkness last night was appalling. Thanks for listening to Marilyn Lightstone Reads, A Room with a View. This episode was produced by Justin Eacock, executive producer Moses Nimer. This is the sixth book in our Marilyn Lightstone Reads podcast series. We invite you to go back and listen to Marilyn Reed, Pride and Prejudice, The Age of Innocence, Anne of Green Gables, Jane Eyre, and A Christmas Carol. You can also help support this podcast by recommending it to friends and leaving a five-star review in your preferred podcast store. And while you're there, look for a variety of other quality podcasts proudly presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.